When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Tonight, a special July 4th edition of the Berserk Bobcat Saloon. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble. A plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. We're trying to reconcile how Benghazi was not safe enough for the Federal Bureau of Investigation to go, but it was safe enough to leave a below-spec facility for our diplomats to stay in. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon. You got a biddly up to the bar. We've kept your seat. I know there aren't very many people in here right now because it is, in fact, the 4th of July. A lot of, good, a lot of people are going to be out uh, with fireworks, barbecues with family and friends. I get it. I understand it. But there is such a thing as YouTube, and there are such things as podcasts. So, belly up to the bar. Tashay is going to be a bartenderess tonight. She pulls with the best of them. And, of course, as you can see, off to... My left, your right, the lava lamp is in fact lighted. We are not going to water our drinks just like we don't water our conversation. Politics, religion, crime, culture, economics, race, sex, science, law. We talk about it all here at the saloon. Nothing is sacred. The speech is free, but the booze is not. The leader of Al-Qaeda. All we ask is that you flush the toilet, jiggle the handle, don't forget to tip your waitress. solution to our problem. Government is the problem. I think President Reagan, quite frankly, said it best. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed by thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us these days our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespasses against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. 
Amen. Down the rabbit hole. Down the rabbit hole. That was the first phrase that came to my mind on this 4th of July 2017 as I awakened to light starting to leak into uh, my bedroom very early this morning. I had to check the temperature of the house because uh, it had been pretty hot during the day, but it had been cooling off at night. And the whole house fan ran at night, and it was time to button up. So the first thing I thought was, down the rabbit hole. That doesn't sound very patriotic. It doesn't sound very 4th of uh, July-ish. This won't be your father's uh, 4th of July show. It won't be the show I necessarily wanted to make, but it was the show that I thought that I had to make. Maybe Obama is right. We need to knock off this patriotic crap on the 4th of July. Maybe we're just overdoing it. Because from the AmericanMirror.com, the headline, Obama warns Americans about too much patriotism on July 4th weekend. While most Americans are gathering with family and community this weekend to celebrate the most exceptional country in the history of the world, Mr. Hope and Change is halfway around the world talking down, talking doom and gloom, and criticizing his successor. Barack Obama visited Indonesia this weekend. As an aside, the largest locale of Muslims on the planet, if you were not aware. And in a series of appearances, he attacked love of country and the politics of Donald Trump. And the Guardian from the UK reported the former U.S. president said some countries had adopted an, quote, aggressive kind of nationalism and, quote, increased resentment of minority groups in a speech in Indonesia on Saturday that could be seen as a commentary on the U.S. as well as Indonesia. It's been clear for a while that the world is at a crossroads, at an inflection point, Obama said, telling a Jakarta crowd stories of how much the capital had improved since he'd lived there as a child. I think you can do the math on that one, can't you? This is our former president who, had it been up to him, would have ignored the 22nd Amendment altogether, if for no other reason than the party, the purity of the entire planet, the U.S. be damned. Because, of course, it, it should be damned. The United States should be damned. Due to its colonialism and its evil past and current course of unstoppable, unbridled evil. There's just too much damn patriotism. In this damn country. Let's call it what it is. It's jingoism. All right? Any ism. Name one of them. Name all of them. America is guilty of it. But Obama said that the increased prosperity had been accompanied 
by new global problems, adding that as the world confronts issues ranging from inequality to terrorism, some countries, both developed and less developed, had adopted a more aggressive and isolationist nature. He said, quote, If we don't stand up for tolerance and moderation and respect for others, if we begin to doubt ourselves and all that we have accomplished, then much of the progress that we have made will not continue. It's time, insists Mr. Obama, for the end of sovereignty and the increased support of and greater power placed into the intellectual superiors, our intellectual superiors of the United Nations, not unlike Europe, placed into the enlightened, capable, and erudite hands of Brussels, of the European Union. He says, quote, What we will see is more and more people arguing against democracy. We will see more and more people who are looking to restrict freedom of the press, and we'll see more intolerance more tribal divisions, more ethnic divisions, and religious divisions, and more violence, Obama asserted. I know you think that's insanity. But this bears repeating, because I'm sure you understand where it is that I'm going. Listen to what Obama is saying. And understand innately to whom he's applying and addressing this to you. We will see more and more people who are looking to restrict freedom. Who are those people? Freedom of the press. And we'll see more intolerance. Who are those people? More tribal divisions. More divisions. Who are those people? More ethnic divisions. Who are those people? and religious divisions, and more violence. Who are those people? And with that, we know that Mr. Obama continues to shed and shine the light of tolerance, peace, freedom, and fairness for everybody, for all. As one of my college professors used to say, please contrast and compare the statements of the former president to our current occupant, President Donald Trump. Who said this? Since the signing of the Declaration of Independence 241 years ago, America always affirmed that liberty comes from our Creator. Our rights are given given to us by God, and no earthly force can ever take those rights away. That is why my administration is transferring power out of Washington and returning that power back where it belongs to the people, Trump said. Our religious liberty is enshrined in the very first amendment in the Bill of Rights. The American founders invoked our creator four times in the Declaration of Independence, the president said. Benjamin Franklin reminded his colleagues at the Constitutional Convention to begin by bowing their heads in prayer. Inscribed in our currency are the words, In God we trust. As you can see, obviously to me, Clear and rampant jingoism. But alleged extreme nationalism, jingoism, xenophobia, of course, flag-waving, bad. Chauvinism aside, listen to the people who possess the power of the vote. Listen to these people. 
very carefully. These are United States citizens. These are the people who keep me up at night. What country did we declare independence from to celebrate the 4th of July? I don't know. What is the purpose of 4th of July celebrations? I'm going to turn it to the guy in the USA shirt. Fireworks. A little more specific. Fireworks. Celebrating our independence. There we go. A little more specific still. Independence. Today? From? 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 A country? Whom? Uh, Step in here at any time. Uh, Which country was that? This is Mark Dice. History was not my subject. I slept through that class. Happy Fourth of July. Thank you. Happy Fourth to you guys. When Jesse Ventura, John Wilkes Booth, and the other founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, what year was that? 1970, sorry, 1870-something, but I don't remember the specific year. What's the purpose of Fourth of July weekend? I know, celebrate our independence. A little more specifically, please. I I really don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's all I know. Yeah, I'm revoking your celebration. You're no longer allowed to celebrate. <laughs> celebration canceled. Name two of the founding fathers of the United States. Oh, man, you had to start there, huh? Washington. Hey, I'd ask him, not you. Oh. Okay, name one more. George and uh, Lincoln. No. no. Really? Hey, pipe down over there. Really? It was supposed to be... You're not putting this one on the We're going to have to deport you. No. <laughs> yeah. You don't deserve to be an American. Yeah. Get out of our country. <laughs> what year did the Declaration of Independence get signed? Just <laughs> you. You first. Oh, sh- Are you kidding me? And the response is, no, I am not kidding you. These people vote. Watch your mouth. In America. I'm sorry. Um... I don't remember, honestly. Um, 1875? <sighs> what year was the Declaration of Independence signed? God. <laughs> Come on, man. Well, like, you don't, don't give off it away. Off top of my head, I don't know. Yep, top, it's, it's buried deep in there somewhere. From, That's what I'm like, saying, off top of my head. Fourth I don't grade. know, but... Uh, Hold on, we're still not done with you. We're we're celebrating independence. What does that mean exactly? Independence from who? Fourth of July, what year? Come on. Hold on, don't give it away. <laughs> Come on, man, you're putting him on the uh, spot. You're putting him on the spot. Just, he needs a safe space. Fourth of July weekend, we celebrate the Civil War victory, the North over the South, freeing of the slaves. This man is saying nothing in response to Mike D- or Mark Dice's intro as that. What are you going to be doing to commemorate that? It's a good question. Probably just out with family, friends, you know, enjoying ourselves. We're out in San Diego, you know, we've got to enjoy the sun, the, sea, the surf, the weather, good people. What year was the Declaration of Independence signed? That, my friend, has been a long time for me. <laughs> Fourth of July weekend, we sort of celebrate John Wilkes Booth, Jesse Ventura, the other founding fathers. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite founding father? 
My favorite founding father is. Who you got to pick out of? Um, oh no, who, who are my choices? Any of them? <laughs> this isn't multiple choice. Oh, it's, okay. Um, founding father, Jesse Ventura. I, That's I, my I favorite. It. That can't be your favorite. You got to pick another can't one. Can't be mine. I don't even have one. No, don't even have one. Well, if you had one, what would it be? It'd be. Who would you say? I say nope, nope, we'll get to you next. <laughs> okay, we better get to you next. Yeah, yeah, tell him, tell him. Yeah. Favorite founding father? Hey, oh, I don't know what my options is. I say Jeremiah. Jeremiah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answer. This is supposed to be funny, but it almost makes me want to cry. <laughs> Fourth of July weekend, we are celebrating our independence from China. Okay. Just checking to see what people are doing to celebrate that victory over the Chinese. Well, I mean, the families always get together, you know, and they just come to the beach and just, you know, have a good time. They just barbecue. Smoke some weed. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know how that goes. But, I mean... I mean, I mean, it's just a family Forget day. Forget about you know? our history and just have some good times, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody's just having a good time. That's, I think uh, most people, time, I think. most people forgot what they it's really about. They definitely have. But Thanks I mean, for demonstrating it that. brings it brings everybody together, it though, does. which that's is a good all thing. That matters, though. Yeah, that's that's really all that it's about, you know. When we won World War II, celebrating the victory over the axis of evil on Fourth of July. Just check in to see what you're going to be doing to celebrate the victory over. Not one objection, not one. For the Nazis this this weekend. Uh, I'm going to go party. Sir. Party? Probably, yes. And lose more brain cells. Maybe. Possibly. But definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Thanks for demonstrating that. We are celebrating a certain Independence Day. Tell us what that is exactly. Uh, so the United States got independence from, uh, I guess, England, right? Yes. Yeah, 1776. Hey! Tell me anything else. This is going to get edited out because I didn't add, like answer a dumb answer. No, we like to. We're okay. trying to, we've oh, yeah, been trying yeah. to find someone like you. Okay, so what about it? Uh, um, one of the one. founding fathers. Uh, Benjamin Franklin. All Tom, right. Thomas Jefferson. Alexander hey. Hamilton. <laughs> All right. John Hancock. Yes. <laughs> Thank oh, you okay. for thinking. That's right. That was great. Yeah. Appreciate that. Nice to meet you guys. Thanks, guys. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, ensure dom domestic tranquility to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Happy Fourth of July, y'all. Have a great one. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Subscribe to youtube.com slash markdice for more videos almost every day. Check the playlist for previous videos from past episodes and stay tuned. More videos coming soon. That's a person that keeps me up at night. What keeps you up at night? Here's another person that keeps me up at night. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America. And this, this keeps me up at night. This is from Portland, Oregon. You may remember this guy. Because I had great mentors. 
I was mentored by Kwame Ture, or who you would call Stokely Carmichael. I was mentored by Huey P. Newton. I was mentored by Asada Shakur. I spent time with these revolutionaries, and they taught me truth. And Che Guevara talked about revolution is about love. We're about to hear from Ajamu Umi. He's an organizer who has engaged on the groundwork for political, economic, and social justice on three continents and the Caribbean. He is the chair of the Black Working Group in Portland, and he's the author of the social justice novel entitled Find the Flower That Blossoms, Ajamu. This is what people consider to be a good American these days. I agree with the previous speakers. Capitalism is a backward, blood-sucking system. It's got to be destroyed. It's got to be destroyed. Now, if you ask me, and I'm up here, so you're asking me, it can't be destroyed through any kind of pleading and working within the system. The system is corrupt. It's got to be destroyed. That cannot happen any way except masses of people rising up and seizing power and creating, as the previous speaker said, a socialist state. Because Creating a socialist state in America, because that has worked so fucking well around the rest of the planet, hasn't it? The question can only be answered two ways. Who will own and control the means of production? Who will own and control the means of production? The question can only be answered two ways. Either some will own it, or everybody will own it. That's what it's all about. I know some of y'all don't want to hear that, but I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you what you need to hear, whether you like it or not. So, how do we go about doing that? This has been one year since Occupy started. We have got to turn up the fire. We've got to continue to organize. We've got to bring people who have never engaged in any political action into this process. We've got to be talking to people who are doing nothing except watching LeBron James. This is America. This is an educated individual, allegedly. This is what passes for civilized discourse on campuses, in the streets of America on the 4th of July. Nothing except looking at their 4G phone. Nothing except looking at American Idol. Those are the people we got to go get right now today. We've got to convince them that they've got to be a part of this process. Is that right? We've got to do that. Because the process needs to be destroyed. And in the process itself, America, all it stands for and what it stands for, needs to be destroyed. Now, we're doing that a number of ways. We're seizing houses in Northeast, putting people in them. We're patrolling the max trains. We're interfering with police when they're harassing people. We're doing a number of things like that. We're creating a community agreement that says in the community that we don't want one empty house. We don't want any more evictions. We want people to have quality places to live. We can't just have a marching rally and then go have a beer. That's not going to give us what we need. We can't just have a march and rally and then go watch sports on TV. We've got to turn up the heat. you got the holidays coming up. You can't just sit there and talk about Turkey. you got to talk about how this land was stolen from the native people. And we got to support their struggle for self-determination. This land was stolen from the indigenous people. I have a question with regard to that. 
What do you think the Native Americans would have done had they experienced their Bronze Age, their uh, Industrial Age, their ability to cross continents far, far sooner than people in Europe? Were they completely altruistic? What would they have done? got to take every opportunity to bring consciousness to this struggle. And we, we do that if we stick together, if we don't let them divide us. Don't look at me and say, well, he's, he's, he's anti-capitalist. I can't talk to him. you got to talk to everybody that's trying to make a positive difference. We've all got to talk and build this movement. So we have no choice except to organize together and build. And we're doing that in our organizations here. We have to organize and we have to build. Uh, now I have a question for you. We need to organize. Who does that sound like? Does that sound like someone we know? Does that sound like someone who was actively gaining ground in 2007? Does that sound like someone here addressing the United Nations and a one-world government? But we have to put our money where our mouths are. And we can only realize the promise of this institution's founding to replace the ravages of war with cooperation if powerful nations like my own accept constraints. We must accept constraints. That is the fundamental foundation of Barack Hussein Obama. The U.S. is too fucking big for its britches. Sometimes I'm criticized in my own country for professing a belief in international norms. And international norms. And to whom do you give this power? More pointedly, to whom do you cede, do you acquiesce? this power multilateral institutions but i am convinced that in the long run giving up some freedom of action freedoms how did you get your freedoms how did you as an american get a freedom do you have a father do you have a brother do you have a grandfather previous generations what did they do not giving up our ability to protect ourselves or pursue our core interests, but binding ourselves to international rules over the long term enhances our security. And I Just as it has enhanced the security so well of the European Union, has it not? Those people keep me up at night. I found this. Something else that keeps me up at night. You can live a whole lifetime without ever being awake. These are the words of Obama again. And for the international order that we have worked for generations to build. Ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their own affairs. Ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their, or their, their own affairs. Listen to that again. Ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their own affairs. The order and progress can only come when individuals surrender their rights to an all-powerful sovereign. 
surrender their rights to an all-powerful sovereign. Did I pull this cut out of my arse? And why have you never heard it before? Why have the American media maggots never played this? And why was it never played during the 2008 or the 2012 election? Listen to what he says. Ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their own affairs. You. The order and progress can only come when individuals surrender their rights to an all-powerful sovereign. You. That's what Barack Hussein Obama wanted, and that's what you never heard, and that's what I dug up, and that's why you listened to this show. Those are the people that keep me up at night. And these are the people who diminish our ability to protect ourselves at home and abroad. Task takes a disturbing turn. This from Minnesota. Watch. This group marching at the state fair, chanting horrific uh, things. Pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon, they're saying. Casey Siegel's live in Houston. Where the- That's enough. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back on this 4th of July special. Stay with me. Please stay with me. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Breaking news. According to the latest report coming out of SHR Media, a merchandise store to support both the Reaver of Common Sense and SHR Media has just been unleashed to the general public. Be forewarned that this site can be contagious and numerous items can be purchased to support the best news programming. Go to Reaver.one website and click on the store link to check out the merchandise. Hello, I'm Matt, a student at Hillsdale College. Here is Hillsdale President Larry Arn on the continuing relevance of the Constitution. Many argue today that the Constitution is outdated because it addresses problems peculiar to the 18th century. Some parts of the Constitution do read rather quaintly. Consider the adjunction against titles of nobility in Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution. But is that so outdated? The purpose of the injunction is to prevent the government granting special privileges to some for partisan reasons. This strikes at the heart of the rule of law. The crony capitalism so common today is a place where the government bestows favors and tax dollars on some businesses to give them a leg up over others. This is exactly the kind of thing the Constitution was meant to prohibit. The Constitution is not so outdated after all. This Constitution Minute was brought to you by Hillsdale College. To join the national conversation on the Constitution, go to constitutionminute.com. Names are dark. The people misled by corrupt politicians, lied to by establishment media, and deceived by the false messages of Islam. A nation in confusion needs a guide. It needs a man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me on Spreaker, SHR Media, High Plains Talk Radio, Live Rebooting Liberty, and YouTube for a unique brand of commentary on the Unpleasant Blind Guy. Because truth is not always pleasant. In a world controlled by corrupt politicians. You got a business. That You didn't build that. A team of ordinary men emerge from the ashes to give voice to the voiceless and hope to the hopeless. 
Sackhead Sean. Dude, I'm not saying Cap was stupid, bro. Sackhead Clint. All good friends of ours usually show, show up drunk. drunk. Also starring Socko as the producer. I'm a little bit drunk, I'm a little bit drunk, cause I'm drinking, drinking, drinking. They are the Sackheads Radio Show. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific on shrmedia.com. Beware, the Jersey Takeover is here. Every Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can catch the Rework Common Sense Show, hosted by Jersey Joe, right here on shrmedia.com and hyphensdailynews.com. Only Jersey can deliver hell like no one else. So consider this your fair warning. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. In a world where insanity reigns supreme and safety pin manufacturers are running out of metal for the diapers of the leftists, it's comforting to know an ancient, fat, long-haired, bearded reprobate has your mind in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California. And despite every attempt by the SHR Media Network to revoke his shameless contract, we return to the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thank you for being here in the saloon on the 4th of July, the year of our Lord, 2017. Welcome to White Mama in chat, Mike's in chat, Smokey's in chat, Mary Brockman is in chat. And we have at least one viewer who is in chat. Smokey says it's bedtime. They better get finished here real soon. Well, Smokey, we're not going to be around for more than about an hour tonight. This is an abbreviated show because, in fact, I know people have places to go and things to do. But these are the people. These are more of the people that keep me up at night and who diminish our ability to protect ourselves at home. And abroad. What are they saying in New York City? Listen. What do we want, dead cops? What do we want now? Those are the people that keep me up at night. We have gone in the course of roughly three generations, from God-fearing and country-loving to the base excoriation of the nation itself. We are in the process of relinquishing the very rights, freedoms, and sacrifices made by men like this. My name is Jerry Yellen. I was a captain in the Army Air Corps, uh, and I flew P-51s off of Iwo Jima. Uh, starting on March 7, 1945, when the Marines took uh, enough land around the first dirt airstrip. Uh, I made 19 flights over Japan, starting on April 7, eight hours in a P-51. And I flew the first mission escorting V-29s, and on August 14, 1945, 
I flew the very last combat mission of World War II, and my wingman, Phil Schlomberg from Brooklyn, New York, 19 years old, was killed on that day. So he was the last man killed in combat in World War II. These are 19-year-olds or 20, 19 or 20, tasked with this. I served in World War II. I enlisted as an aviation cadet on February 15, 1942, on my 18th birthday. I was inducted into the service in August of 1942, and I graduated from flying school with 10 hours in a P-40 in August of 1943. P-40 Warhawks, my father said, were some of the most difficult, low-wing fighters to fly, and you couldn't keep them on the ground idling, or they'd overheat. You'd have to take them into the sky as soon as possible. Was shipped overseas to Hawaii to get 50 more hours in a P-40, but I joined the 78th Fighter Squadron, and I stayed in the 78th right through the war. Flying for your country and flying in combat against an enemy is probably the high point of our life because we were all young. 10% of the nation served in uniform. The population of America was 16 million people, 160 million people, and 16 million of us served in the military. Eight million young women became Rosie the Rivers and built the airplanes and the tanks and the boats. And the population of America served the nation as well. So everybody was at war. There was a purity purpose, which was to eliminate evil. And we did that, all of us. So uh, the highlight of my life was serving my country in time of war. When was the last time you heard anyone say that? Anyone? Well, this is the 70th anniversary of the end of the war, the end of World War II. My wingman, Phil Schlomberg, had an older brother who is now gone, who changed his name was Michael. Michael had a daughter by the name of Melanie, and the daughter married a Dutch architect by the name of Johansson, and her daughter is Scarlett Johansson, the movie star. And I know that family, and I'm here to pay tribute and honor to Phil Schlomberg, who was the last man killed off of Iwo Jima for the end of the war. And this completes a circle for me. It, it, it's a healing day for me, thinking back of all of the people and all the things that we did then that we're not doing now. I came in 2010 for the 65th anniversary, but this is the first time, maybe the last time, that I'll be on Iwo Jima. It's a long trip. I'm 91 years old. I don't know how much time I have left, but uh, it's, it's just uh, it's a day of memories for me. Where did we find boys like this? Where did we find men like this? Great memories and sad memories. But uh, I have, uh, in 1988, my youngest son married the daughter of a Japanese kamikaze pilot, which took me from hatred to love of family. I have three Japanese grandchildren. Um, I'd like their contemporaries to know that uh, my, grand, my grandchildren's grandchildren, grandparents served their countries with honor, no matter what we were learned about the Japanese or what they learned about us, and that war is an atrocity, that uh, evil has to be wiped out. And we are not 
what we believe. We are all human beings, exactly the same. Uh, and there's evil in the world today, and we have to fight that evil to make sure that there's freedom for free-loving people in our world. And you guys in the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, are the ones with that responsibility. And I know you fulfill it well. His words should be heard across the nation. It means that my cycle of life is near its end. That's what it means to me. And I'm, I'm here willingly and happily uh, as a last fond memory of this island where I flew with 16 guys that didn't come back and I'm representing them here. I'm the only guy who was a pilot who's on the island now who was a pilot in World War II. So I'm representing a lot of people and I'm hoping I'm doing it humbly and doing it correctly because we're leaving this world rapidly. And soon, years, there'll be nobody left from World War II. My name is Jerry Yellen. Uh, and I served in World War II, one of 16 million who served their nation then. Where do we find men like that and men like this? Firepower was coming from every direction, and it looked as if the whole the hillside uh, just burst into fire. June 6, 1944, Ray Lambert was a combat medic on Omaha Beach. The Germans were all over the cliffs and all over the side of the hills there and looking right down on us. Right, it was just as open as open could be. And you can hear guys calling for a medic. And I went to him to try to do something that I knew he wasn't going to live. But I picked up his head in his shoulders and tried to pick him up a little bit and say something to him, but it, he died right there in my arms. And when I look down that beach now, I can, uh, I can see that spot. And I can, uh, I have the feeling of that guy dying in my arms. And it's a terrible feeling. I've been uh, back to, to Normandy a number of times, and it's, it's never a happy day to go to stand there and look out over the channel. And it looked as if the whole hillside uh, just burst into fire. See that spot, and I can, uh, I have the feeling of that guy dying in my arms. And it's a terrible feeling. I've been uh, back to Normandy a number of times, and it's, it's never a happy day to go to stand there and look out over the channel. I asked my father numerous times if he wanted to go back to England. He flew for the mighty eighth as a B-17 pilot. He refused every time. Because there's so many, so many memories there from that day. Sometimes I break out in a sweat, uh, even though it's cool. And I still, after all these years, I wake up at night sometime thinking about the guys and uh, 
how much fun we had together at times and I am grateful to God that I lived through that and I uh, say a prayer every night for the wives and children of the guys that we left over there. And where do we find men like this? Their hands are as steady as they were 70 years ago. These men from the 29th Infantry Division stormed Omaha Beach on D-Day, June 6, 1944. They are permanently welcome in Normandy. Ceremony after ceremony, these men are thanked. Omaha Beach is full of vivid memories for Harold Baumgarten. I can look out at that beach, tell you where each guy was laying. And what I can describe his face even nowadays. His own scarred face is a permanent memory of his first moments of battle. I landed on this beach uh, first wave and I got wounded five times, twice, uh, three times on D-Day and twice on June 7th. I, I had to stop, I ran out of blood. World War II veterans are running out of time. They are close to 90 years old. People are grabbing memories of these men, afraid that they will not be around to tell their own stories at the next anniversary. What also may not be around? Think about that. The veterans from the 29th Infantry Division are famous because they made it off of this beach and survived the war. But when it comes to talking about heroes, they point in a different direction. And I always say, those people that are in the cemetery up here on the bluff, they're the ones that are responsible for guys like me and the rest of the vets, you see, to get back home. They paid the price. They're the heroes. 9,387 men lie in the Normandy American Cemetery, unable to tell their own stories. And men like these. When you tour the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, you're advised to look up. That's a B-17 bomber, so deadly and effective it served in every theater of the war. There's lots to see and hear in this museum of more than 10,000 artifacts and installations, all reflecting the simple fact that World War II was big, the largest armed conflict in human history. And for what were they fighting? And with all the stuff, it would be easy to miss him, sitting quietly just to the right as you enter the exhibit hall. Come on over here. Come around here. But that would be a shame. This is Omaha Beach. We jump back here behind the lines. Staff Sergeant Tom Blakey, 92 years old, volunteers at the museum for a couple of days each week. Were you ever injured? No, I was never injured. I was lucky. Greeting visitors, young and old. What was the hardest thing? Answering questions. Trying to stay alive. So, question... What do we tell these past souls that we're doing with their deaths? How do we tell them that their deaths meant? What did they mean? As far as people are concerned now, nothing? How do we square this equation? Is this how we honor their sacrifices? On the 4th of July, where we started with our independence. This is the 4th of July 2017, 
241 years ago, after our adoption of the Declaration of Independence from the British, too many Americans cannot even quantify the meaning of the date, but further seem altogether too willing to surrender the rights and the freedoms upon which this country was not only founded, but supported by the bloodshed of hundreds of thousands of American soldiers throughout our history and all our wars. The sheepdogs of our country, both in the military and in law enforcement, perhaps it's time for a reminder of the meaning of the word Bah. I don't know if you can see my hat, but it says sheepdog. And there's an article that I'm going to read very shortly. You should ask, what is the nature of good and evil? And then you also have to extrapolate. What is America? Is it good or is it evil? On this 4th of July 2017, I submit, It depends on who you ask. By Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, retired, the author of On Killing, on sheep, wolves, and sheepdogs. Honor never grows old, and honor replaces the heart of age. It does so because honor is finally about defending those noble and worthy things that deserve defending even if it comes at a high cost. In our time, that may mean social disapproval, public scorn, hardship, persecution, or, as always, even death itself. The question remains, what is worth defending? What is worth dying for? What is worth living for? William J. Bennett, in a lecture to the United Nations Naval Academy, November 24, 1967. One Vietnam veteran, an old retired colonel, once said this to me, Most of the people in our society are sheep. They are kind, they're gentle, they're productive creatures who can only hurt one another by accident. This is true. Remember, the murder rate is 6 per 100. 100,000 per year, and the uh, aggravated assault rate is 4 per 1,000 per year. What this means is that the vast majority of Americans are not inclined to hurt one another. Some estimates say that 2 million Americans are victims of violent crime every year, a tragic, staggering number, perhaps at an all-time record rate of violent crime. But there are almost 300 million Americans which means that the odds of being a victim of violent crime is considerably less than one in a hundred on any given year. Furthermore, since many violent crimes are committed by repeat offenders, the actual number of violent citizens is considerably less than two million. Thus, there is a paradox, and we must grasp both ends of the situation. We may well be in the most violent times in history, but violence is still remarkably rare. This is because most citizens are kind, decent people who are not capable of hurting each other except by accident or under extreme provocation. They are sheep. 
I mean nothing negative by calling them sheep. To me, it's like the the pretty blue uh, robin's egg. Inside it's soft and gooey, but someday it will grow into something wonderful. But the egg can't survive without its hard blue shell. Police officers, soldiers, and other warriors are like that shell. And someday the civilization they protect will grow into something wonderful. For now, though, they need warriors to protect them from the predators. Then there are the wolves, the old war veteran said. And the wolves feed on the sheep without mercy. Do you believe there are wolves out there who will feed on the flock without mercy? You better believe it. There are evil men in this world, and they're capable of evil deeds. The moment you forget that or pretend it's not so, you become a sheep. There is no safety in denial. Then there are sheepdogs, he went on, and I'm a sheepdog. I live to protect the flock and confront the wolf. If you have no capacity for violence, then you are a healthy, productive citizen, a sheep. If you have a capacity for violence and no empathy for your fellow citizens, then you have defined an aggressive sociopath, a wolf. But what if you have a capacity for violence and a deep love for your fellow citizens? What do you have then? A sheepdog, a warrior, someone who is walking the hero's path, someone who can walk into the heart of darkness, into the universal human phobia, and walk out unscathed. Let me expand on this old soldier's excellent model of the sheep, wolves, and sheepdogs. We know that the sheep live in denial. That is what makes them sheep. They do not want to believe that there is evil in the world. They can accept the fact that fires can happen, which is why they want fire extinguishers, fire sprinklers, fire alarms, and exits throughout the kids' schools. But many of them are outraged at the idea of putting an armed police officer in their kids' school. Children are thousands of times more likely to be killed or seriously injured by school violence than fire. But the sheep's only response to the possibility of violence is denial. The idea of someone coming to kill or harm their child is just too hard, and they choose the path of denial. The sheep generally does not like the sheepdog. He looks a lot like the wolf. He has fangs and the capacity for violence. The difference, though, is that the sheepdog must not, cannot, and will not ever harm the sheep. Any sheepdog who intentionally harms the lowliest little lamb will be punished and removed. The world cannot work any other way, at least not in a representative democracy or republic such as ours. Still, the sheepdog disturbs the sheep. He's a constant reminder that there are wolves in the land. They would prefer that he didn't tell them where to go or give them traffic tickets or stand at the ready in our airports in camouflage fatigues holding an M16. The sheep would much rather have the sheepdog cash in his fangs, spray paint himself white, and just go, bah, until the wolf shows up. Then the entire flock tries desperately to hide behind one lonely sheepdog. The students, the victims at Columbine High School, were big, tough high school students, and under ordinary circumstances, they would not have had the time of day for a police officer. 
They were not bad kids. They would just had nothing to do to say to a cop when the school was under attack. However, and SWAT teams were clearing the rooms and the hallways. The officers had to physically peel those clinging, sobbing kids off of the walls. This is how the little lambs feel about the sheepdog when the wolf is at the door. Look at what happened last, excuse me, look at what happened after September 11, 2001, when the wolf pounded hard on the door. Remember how America, more than ever before, but differently, felt differently about their law enforcement officers and military personnel. Remember how many times you heard the word hero. Understand that there is nothing morally superior about being a sheepdog. It's just what you choose to be. Also understand that a sheepdog is a funny critter. He's always sniffing around on the perimeter, checking the breeze, barking at things that go bump in the night, and yearning for a righteous battle. That is, the young sheepdogs yearn for a righteous battle. The old sheepdogs are a little older and wiser, but they move to the sound of the guns when needed right along with the young ones. Here is how the sheep and the sheepdog think differently. The sheep pretend the wolf will never come, but the sheepdog lives for that day. After the attacks on September 11, 2001, most of the sheep, that is, most citizens of America said, thank God I wasn't on one of those planes. The sheepdogs, the warriors said, dear God, wish I could have been on one of those planes. Maybe I could have made a difference. When you're truly transformed into a warrior and have truly invested yourself into warriorhood, you want to be there. You want to be able to make a difference. That's what a sheepdog does. Sometimes when I attempt to read this story uh, because of my past, uh, I have occasionally uh, a difficult time reading it, and for a few reasons. There was research conducted a few years ago with individuals convicted of violent crimes. These cons were in prison for serious predatory crimes of violence, assaults, murders, and killing law enforcement officers. The vast majority said that they specifically targeted victims by body language, slumped walk, passive behavior, and lack of awareness. They chose their victims like big cats do in Africa when they select one of the herd that's least able to protect itself. Some people may be destined to be sheep, and others might be genetically primed to be wolves or sheepdogs. But I believe that most people can choose which one they want to be, and I'm proud to say that more and more Americans are choosing to become sheepdogs. That was then, back when the article was written. Seven months ago, after the attack on September 11, 2001, Todd Beamer was honored in his hometown of Granbury, New Jersey. Todd, as you recall, was the man on Flight 93 over Pennsylvania who called on his cell phone to alert an operator from United Airlines about the hijacking. 
when he learned of the other airline passengers and the other planes that had been used as weapons, Todd, Todd dropped his phone and uttered the words, Let's roll, which authorities believe was a signal to the other passengers to confront the terrorist hijackers. In one hour, a transformation occurred among the passengers, athletes, business people, and parents, from sheep to sheepdogs, and together they fought the wolves, ultimately saving an unknown number of lives on the ground. Edmund Burke said, There is no safety for honest man except for believing all possible evil of evil men. Here's the point I'd like to emphasize, especially to the thousands of police officers and soldiers I speak to each year. In nature, the sheep, real sheep, are born as sheep. Sheepdogs are born that way, so they are, and so are wolves. They didn't have a choice. But you are not a critter. As a human being, you can be whatever you want to be. It's a conscious, moral decision. If you want to be a sheep, then you can be a sheep, and that's okay. But you must understand the price you pay when the wolf comes. You and your loved ones are going to die if there is not a sheepdog there to protect you. If you want to be a wolf, you can be one. But the sheepdogs are going to hunt you down and you will never have rest, safety, trust, or love. But if you want to be a sheepdog and walk the warrior's path, then you must make a conscious and moral decision every day to dedicate, equip, and prepare yourself to thrive in that toxic, corrosive moment when the wolf comes knocking at the door. For example, many officers carry their weapons in church. They are well concealed in ankle holsters, shoulder holsters, and inside the belt holsters tucked into the small of their backs. Anytime you go into some form of religious service, there's a very good chance that a police officer in your congregation is carrying you will never know if there is such an individual in your place of worship until the wolf appears to massacre you and your loved ones. I was training a group of police officers in Texas, and during the break, one officer asked his friend if he carried his weapon in church. The other cop replied, I will never be caught without my gun in church. I asked why he felt so strongly about this, and he told me about a cop he knew who was at his church who was at a church massacre in Fort Worth, Texas, in 1969. In that incident, a mentally deranged individual came into the church and opened fire, gunning down 14 people. He said that officer believed he could have saved every life that day if he'd been carrying his gun. His own son was shot, and all he could do is throw himself on the boy's body and want to die. That cop looked me in the eye and said, Do you have any idea how hard it would be to live with yourself after that. Some individuals would be horrified if they knew this police officer was carrying a weapon in church. They might call him paranoid and would probably scold him and scorn him. Yet these same individuals would be engaged and would call for heads to roll if they found out that the airbags in their cars were defective or that the fire extinguisher and fire sprinklers in their kids' schools didn't work. They can accept the fact that fires and traffic accidents can happen and that there must be safeguards against them. Their only response to the wolf, though, is denial. And all too often, the importance to the sheepdog is scorn and disdain. But the sheepdog quietly asks himself, Do you 
have any idea how hard it would be to live with yourself if your loved ones, if your loved ones were attacked and killed, and you had to stand there helplessly because you were unprepared for that day. It's denial that turns people into sheep. Sheep are psychologically destroyed by combat because their only defense is denial, which is counterproductive and destructive, resulting in fear, helplessness, and horror when the wolf shows up. Denial kills you twice. It kills you once, at your moment of truth, when you are not physically prepared. You didn't bring your gun. You didn't train. Your only defense was wishful thinking. Hope is not a strategy. Denial kills you a second time because even if you do physically survive, you are psychologically shattered by your fear, your base helplessness, and your horror at that moment of truth. Gavin de Beckett put it like this, Fear Less. His superb post-9-11 book, which should be required reading by anyone trying to come to terms with our current world situation, Denial can be seductive, but it has an insidious side effect. For all the peace of mind, deniers think they get by saying it isn't so. They feel they take when faced with new violence is all the more unsettling. Denial is a save-now-pay-later scheme, a contract written entirely in small print, for in the long run, the denying person knows the truth at some level. And so the warrior must strive to confront denial in all aspects of his life and prepare himself for the day when evil comes. If you're a warrior who is highly authorized, legally authorized to carry a weapon, and you step outside without that weapon, then you become a sheep, pretending that the bad man will not come today. No one can be on 24-7 for a lifetime. Everybody needs some downtime. But if you're authorized to carry a weapon and you walk outside without it, just take a deep breath and say this to yourself. Bah. This business of being a sheep or a sheepdog is not a yes or no dichotomy. It is not an all or nothing, either or choice. It is a matter of degrees a continuum. On one end is an abject head-in-the-sand sheep, and the other end is the ultimate warrior. Few people exist completely at one end or the other. Most of us live somewhere in between. Since 9-11, almost everyone in America took a step up that continuum, away from denial. The sheep took a few steps toward accepting and appreciating their warriors, and the warriors started taking their job more seriously. The degree to which you move up that continuum away from sheephood and denial is the degree to which you and your loved ones will survive physically and psychologically in your moment of truth. I passed the break. I have a few more minutes to go, and that's it. My father passed away in 2009, but even in the intervening eight years, I suspect he would not find our country totally familiar. I find this aspect sad, both sad and disturbing. He was a sheepdog, but he would seldom, if ever, refer to it or mention it.
must speak of it. Certainly never to me. These are tumultuous times for the United States of America, but I fear the times are soon to be even more so. I am convinced there's an upheaval coming. If for no other reason than the left does not know when to stop pushing, and because they don't know when to cease their continuous attempted dismantling of the very soul of this nation. This is not the show you anticipated. I hadn't anticipated it, but it's the one I was forced to do because in reflection, everything, everything is at stake now. Our freedoms, our rights, the very way, our collective very way of life. I write in my blog that I'm pushback. That means this, I'm not going away and I'm not giving up in the face of such naked undermining and violence on the part of the left. I'm of sufficient age that I have the perspective necessary to say this. They want us to be the frogs. The pot is just beginning to boil. The hands of leftists, Democrats, and the American media maggots are on the burner. They have to be pushed away. And trust me when I tell you, they have to be stopped. Monsieur! Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thanks for listening to this abbreviated version of the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon on the SHR Media Network here on Tuesday, July 4th, 2017. If you want to contact me, you'll find me on Twitter at BZEP, on my blog at bloviatingzeppelin.net, in the same place at gab.ai. My original music is by Possessed Tranquility, and you can find them if you want them at ReverbNation.com. For the rest of this, I'd say trust your friends, your family, embrace your freedom, and honor the sacrifice and the deaths that occurred for you to keep these freedoms. Freedom is never free. Not for us. God bless. Take care. Be safe. Sackheads tomorrow night. Quiet down now and get some sleep. Good night, everybody. Good night, Mama. Good night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, John Boy. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. What's going on? I was asleep. What's everybody doing? Good night, Good night Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Good night and good luck. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.